Great. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for coming and welcome to this event looking at, on, at the topic, how can the government build strong local institutions to deliver levelling up? I'm Tom Pope, the Deputy Chief Economist at the Institute for Government, and we're delighted to be holding this panel in partnership with Policy at Manchester, who are the uh, University of Manchester's Policy Engagement Institute, and it's great to have Andy on the panel uh, as well. A key commitment of the levelling up white paper, and one that the government has been following through on, um, has been further de devolution within England, expanding the responsibilities of some established combined authorities and doing new devolution deals elsewhere. I think it's fair to say there's now broad agreement across political parties and among experts too, that England in particular is too centralised and further devolution is necessary to deliver better outcomes and to deliver on levelling up as well as other government priorities. However, devolution is not a silver bullet. And if local and combined authorities and other local institutions don't have the capacity and skills to make the right decisions for their local areas, there's no guarantee that it will lead to better outcomes and levelling up. So in this event, we're going to discuss what the government can do and what it should be doing to help build up the capacity of combined and local authorities, what those institutions can be doing to ensure they're being effective locally, and also the role of other local actors, like universities and businesses too, and what role they can play in good local policy making. And to do that, we have an excellent panel uh, joining me today. We have Councillor Abby Brown, um, who's a councillor and former leader on Stoke-on-Trent Council. City Council. Stoke-on-Trent City Council. Thank you. <laughs> it's important. Um, it is important. I agree. Uh, we have Jack Brereton, who's the MP for Stoke-on-Trent South. Uh, we have Andy Westwood, who's a professor of government practice at the University of Manchester, um, who's written lots on these topics over several years. Um, and to the far left of me, we have uh, Akash Pound, who's the Programme Director for Devolution at the Institute for Government. Um, so just a bit of housekeeping before we start. Um, we'll have some opening remarks and some brief panel discussion, but we want to have plenty of time for questions. Uh, when, when the mic comes around, please wait for the mic to come before you start speaking. Please do try to ask questions rather than just make comments. Um, and please do say who you are and where you're from so we know who we're talking to today. Um, this uh, event is being uh, recorded, so the audio will be available online later, and we'll be tweeting, live tweeting along with the hashtag IFGCon23, so do join in with that conversation or check in later if you want a reminder of what was said. And with that, I'll head on to some opening remarks. So, Abby, you've been in local government for several years, led a council in that time. How would you assess the current capacity of local authorities? And do you think you know, some of the stretched nature of local government makes it harder for the centre to devolve more power? OK, well, um, thank you very much for inviting me. I, I was um, just saying that uh, it's been a long time since I've had a, a nameplate at conference that just has my ward on it. And, and actually, I've spoken at a number of um, panels over the last few days. And, and more often than not, actually, the conversations, which one of my titles that I seem to have at the moment is the one to put on there. And they get all mixed up and I end up with being all sorts of different things that I, I'm not actually. Um, and, and again, this is a bit of a first for me to be on the panel with my own MP. Um, we have had a debate around whether we should directly contradict each other um, because he's not only my uh, MP. I've known Jack for incredibly long time. He used to serve with me on Stoke-on-Trent City Council. Um, so, um, you know, clearly we know each other well and I hope there won't be a degree of overlap on this. Uh, it's very polite of you, Thomas, to say I've been in local government for several years, been in local government for 13 years. Um, during that time, eight of them 
um, as a cabinet member, um, deputy leader, and then leader of Stoke-on-Trent City Council. Um, and today I'm the deputy leader of the Conservative Group on the LGA, which makes me a deputy chairman of the LGA, and I chair one of their policy committees um, around innovation and improvement. So um, I think in terms of current capacity and devolution, I'm going to start at the other end in terms of the devolution element and responsibility. And actually, I think there's a sort of irony in a way that reducing government funding um, has led in a way to that reduced capacity there. I probably ought to say at this point that every other panel I've been on, I've been repping for the LGA, whereas today my comments are probably going to be more about what I think than, than necessarily the line. But, you know, that's why I tend to get invited to do these things sometimes. I think, of course, you know, government is continuing to place unfunded burdens onto local authorities. So I'm not really sure it's necessarily an argument to say that the government says you can't have devolution because you can't do the things that you're doing while we're continuing to give you things that we're not giving you any cash to do in the first place. And I don't actually think that that's where government is anyway, actually. Um, I think the actual reality is that there's a need for a really honest conversation about the centre and local government and the relationship. Um, and I'm very much minded that uh, my LGA group leader, Kevin, um, talks a lot about partnership and that we are in a partnership together. Um, and when you follow that train of thought through, I was certainly very keen when I was leader of Stoke on Trent City Council that responsibilities that I wanted were the ones that were relevant to my area as opposed to the ones that government told me I ought to be asking for. Um, now, I think we were quite successful in terms of um, the agenda that we promoted um, around that and some of the things that therefore we were able to advance forward and clearly you know there's an element of disappointment for me no longer being the leader that some of those things are kind of left hanging in the wind you know I, I was proud to be the first local authority leader to sign an informal partnership with Homes England which was something I pushed very hard for um, and I was really pleased to be able to get over the line the potential that I could um, lead a conversation around devolved transport um, responsibilities for um, the subregion of which we are a part, but that's left hanging there now for my successors and Jack to take forward. And whether that will or not, I don't know, because these were very much views that we shared as a collective of, of three Conservative MPs and a Conservative-led council. Um, and I think some of our success was actually the combination of the depth of the plan that we had um, as, a, as a foursome for the city, but also actually our approach around that. There wasn't just the foursome of us, and I was talking to somebody earlier that uh, we were referred to as the Stoke-on-Trent Mafia, um, because we would go in collectively as three MPs and a council leader with one shared view, uh, contrasting and very different ways of, of delivering things. Um, certainly from one of our, you know, one of our colleagues to be familiar with, Jonathan Gullis, um, and then Jack and I um, in a slightly different space and complemented by Joe in Stoke Cent Central as well. I think though the immediate view of um, devolving responsibilities is driven by the view though that you have to fit that model um, that the government prescribes. But my view, um, perhaps because I was very happy and um, loved being leader of the council, I have a tremendous MP, um, so I've got no aspiration to want to go further, I just want to deliver the very best that I could for my city, was that actually if government pitched an idea, um, I wanted to see how that worked differently for me. Um, and I. I do rather jokingly needle certain uh, ministers now um, about how they must have had a special draw for my ideas because theirs were really good but they'd been much better if they'd done it like this and it fits Stoke-on-Trent um, much better. Um, and my view is as well that my views are just as valid as a local authority leader of a, a city with half a billion pound turnover serving over a quarter of a million people um, why are my ideas viewed in the same capacity as theirs moving forward because I know my place better than they do. And that was my negotiation pitch often to go in. Your idea is quite good, 
in fact, I like your idea, but if we did this with it, it would deliver an even better outcome for all of us. So how can we talk about that? Now, those same ministers are equally pleased that there's not many leaders like me. <laughs> and, and the civil servants are absolutely delighted that they don't have to deal with people like me trying to negotiate on that basis. But I do think it's that wider idea um, that it should be for your local area to determine how they want to level up and therefore the responsibilities that you need to go with that. Um, but I think that as a general concept is actually starting to gain traction. We could call it the brown level, couldn't we? Anyway, um, but the capacity is going to be a challenge to do that. Local government is suffering from the same issues that lots of other sectors are um, post-COVID. Um, and I guess I would frame it in a slightly different way to maybe the way that we frame it as a sector. People are exiting the workforce. Not enough of certain specialisms are entering the workforce. And that is no different to other sectors. It's just sometimes viewed that local government should be able to carry on regardless, but we don't have that view around other sectors, but the reality is the same issues are there. However, I think if you phoned up X local authority um, and said to them, you could have this responsibility, but actually you can't because you haven't got enough people, I don't think they would say, okay, then I think they would respond to that because local government is actually hugely resourceful in terms of how they respond to things. And actually, as a local authority leader, if you really want to do something, then you'll reflect on how, do you, how you would resource accordingly to get there, or certainly um, I would have done. Now, of course, government um, may choose to use lack of resource as a reason not to devolve. But I personally, again, would say that I'm not necessarily seeing that happen. In fact, actually, uh, in my experience, and I know that I was a particularly ambitious and resourceful leader in terms of my policy approach and the things that I was negotiating for, I thought government was actually probably quite responsive to some of that um, around the resource challenge. So, you know, for example, one of the issues for us um, when we bid for levelling up round one, and um, today Stoke-on-Trent is still the most successful recipient of levelling up fund, the biggest single allocation to any place in the country, um, we were very clear with government that we had hugely ambitious plans that they were all lined up to deliver but we struggled as a local authority with that and actually um, the support of my three brilliant MPs going in and making that case to DLOC meant that the idea of capitalising part of that came forward and that's a principle that's still there. In fact um, that's a principle that's growing 25% of the monies that were announced on Sunday are now capitalised for revenue and that you know, I'm sure I wasn't the only leader saying that, but that was really important to us. So I do think that you can actually argue and back, and I think government sees that and he is responding accordingly. But of course, and I'll leave it at this point, um, that doesn't uh, offset the wider issues of local government funding, but that's a debate for a different day. Mm. Great, thank you very much. That'd be a re really useful summary of where we are. Um, Andy, I'll come to you next. I know you've been working on a, an upcoming essay collection, which is looking at several themes relating to... <laughs> levelling up, including this question of, of capacity, which is quite a, a prominent theme going through it. So how would you characterise current capacity of local government and what can be done to build it up further? Um, well, thank you. And, and thanks for uh, uh, chairing today's discussion. I think it's, it's one of those discussions that, um, that, that are basically hugely important in the kind of devolution conversation. And, and hugely kind of under uh, um, underplayed in the way that kind of policy around devolution is is developed and delivered. Um, I think um, that sort of my starting place, I guess, is is that is that is that building strong local institutions is, is government policy. It's one of the it's one of the six capitals in the Leveling Up White Paper, uh, rightly, uh, and kind of uh, uh, building the capacity of institutions to be able to kind of act in a variety of different ways is is absolutely kind of central to, to uh, that particular 
uh, to that particular vision. Um, and I think it, it applies in different ways to different local institutions. So, you know, as you, as you described, kind of combined authorities uh, like Greater Manchester or the West Midlands are, are receiving kind of new powers. Greater Manchester's on its seventh devolution deal. You know, it can't hope to deliver uh, new powers over things like FE, for example, without developing serious capacity to understand what it wants from the system and kind of how it how it wants to deliver that stuff. So, so the idea of building capacity needs to be a much bigger element of central government kind of thinking in in kind of how you roll uh, various uh, devolution deals out. But it's also it's also a big deal for local authorities as uh, within combined authorities as well as kind of outside of them. Um, particularly given the the kind of multitude of different funding streams, which we know the levelling up white paper is rightly critical of. But if you don't have the capacity that Abby's just described in Stoke and working with the MPs, you don't get the cash. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and that is massively sort of problematic. Um, so, you know, it's incredibly important for local authorities to build capacity if that's the way they're going to be able to kind of win funding. Uh, to make uh, and to make the kind of case for particular projects uh, or particular powers, um, so so I think uh, I think uh, you know capacity plays out in both of those ways. Um, there's a there's an extra element to that, which is how do we build the capacity of central government to really think about about what what you do need to devolve and how do you better deal with places like. Uh, Stoke and I'm, I'm, I can I can almost kind of picture um, the negotiations, <laughs> uh, um, the way that you describe them, Abby, um, because you know you rightly do know what you want as a leader in in that particular city, and you know and and the the various schemes that you won funding for demonstrate that, but you, those don't kind of appear overnight. That comes out of a deep understanding of what you want in a place, how that place functions or doesn't function. Uh, and um, you know you're also choosing it, choosing those schemes against other possible options. So, so capacity kind of uh, manifests itself in lots of different ways. And the the last thing I would say uh, in in this particular sort of set of comments is that um, it, it isn't just strong local institutions as local authorities or combined authorities, and it isn't just capacity within local and kind of uh, 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 regional government. It's about the capacity of a, of, of a collection of institutions working together. And I think that's very much what the levelling up white paper points to when it's trying to build the strong local institutions. So to give you some examples, um, we worked with uh, um, Oldham, local authority in Greater Manchester and the FE College. Um, so, so that was a kind of collection of three institutions with the combined authority as well doing a kind of review of, uh, of uh, Oldham's economic future. So coordinating institutions and, and bringing them together in order to demonstrate and develop capacity is important. If you look, uh, look at what Andy Street's done in the West Midlands, um, very different to, to the model in Greater Manchester where Andy Burnham kind of inherited quite a lot of institutions that had been built mm. up by Howard Bernstein and Richard Leith. Andy Street had to pretty much come in and develop them from scratch. And, and that's what he did, and he did a good job of that. Um, one of the institutions that helped him do that was uh, Birmingham University and City Ready, mm. um, which is a kind of research, if you don't know it, it's worth looking it up. It's a, um, a research center on local and regional economic development. 
uh, uh, works across the whole of the West Midlands. Um, and Andy Street was was partly based there uh, before he was um, before he was elected uh, uh, mayor. And and you've got kind of similar things going on in the northeast now. There's a new northeast combined authority. So so I think we you know we, we don't we don't always have to have that debate that says you know local government must have X combined authorities must have Y. It is about being imaginative and working out kind of which partner institutions can help build that capacity. Um, that, as I've said, is is absolutely essential to rolling out particular powers and kind of taking the whole devolution agenda much further. Great, thanks very much, Andy. You mentioned there the sort of new devolution deals that the government's rolling out across the country. And Akash, in, in your work, you've been looking at you know, how these new institutions can be set up well and what sort of sets a a new deal area up for success. Do you want to say a bit about some of the key lessons you learned from that? Yeah, thanks, Tom. So that's right. We, we ran a project earlier this year um, culminating in this report, I do recommend, if, uh, <laughs> if I'm allowed to plug it, the art of the devolution deal, where, where we try to identify yeah what are the success factors essentially for devolution deals and, and combined authorities. And, and the reason we started that project was that it was apparent from our previous work that Devolution was working pretty well, very well, you might say, in some places, certainly including Greater Manchester, um, others like Liverpool City region as well, I think, where it had taken root very well. In other places, new combined authorities were dysfunctional, riven by conflict, mm. and um, it, it, it clearly wasn't working so well. So, so that was sort of the starting point for, for that project, trying to understand why there was that. Um, that, that, that variation in, in performance. Um, and that's obviously quite a, a big complex question, but I think I would, I, I would boil it down to a few um, headline factors. Um, I mean, first of all, the geography really matters. Mm -hmm. The geography has to make sense. That's, I think if you look at a place like Greater Manchester, there is quite a good alignment with the economic geography, the travel to work area, that kind of thing, as well as coterminosity with other key institutions, the health service, boundaries, the police force, the local enterprise partnership, which you know, obviously doesn't seem to exist, but that, that Greater Manchester was a scale at which a lot of activity already happened and there was already a long history of, of thinking and acting at that scale. That's really not been the case in some other places. Um, Andy just, just mentioned places like the West Midlands, which, yeah, has actually ended up working quite well, but there was uh, a, a, a much more of a uh, steep learning curve in the early days when institutions had to be built more from scratch. And that takes time. A lot of investment and, and effort needs to be put into building those relationships, building, building trust between uh, local leaders and building the sense of place and, and why we are operating why there is an institution at that scale. So, so you can't rush those kind of things. And, and I do think in some of the places where it's been less effective, Cambridgeshire and Peterborough is often pointed to as somewhere where there's been sort of known uh, dysfunction. There was a deal kind of enforced from central government in spite of the geography not really making sense, either economically or in, or in people's sense of place there wasn't local political support and the government sort of took the mentality that a bad deal is better than no deal to, to, to reframe use that phrase and, and it didn't work out very well and it was rushed as well so i think that is a kind of core, core element to it um 
The second key thing I think that I would I would draw attention to is that local leaders have to make this work, have to unite around a shared vision, a shared strategy for the region as a whole. Where it doesn't work very well in our experience, you've got a sort of transactional approach to devolution. Local areas, local councils sign up just to try and secure a chunk of the, a slice of the pie for their own local projects to try and get more more funding for, for whatever it is that they're in favor of devolution has to be uh based on what's the added value that 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 devolution can can add at that larger regional scale and, and you know that's typically things around transport connectivity or wider strategic thinking about skills and labor markets housing um, and, and, and wider kind of infrastructure investments and so on and to do that well and again you know i could point to, to to gm but there's other places i think they've done it quite well the tees valley strategic economic plan based on green energy uh green low carbon industry as a kind of core driver of economic regeneration over the long term it's an interesting one to look at the west midlands HS2 growth strategy may have to be revisited now, unfortunately, but um, the, these are places where there's been a lot of thinking based on a strong shared uh, evidence base, certainly informed by universities and, and other analytical work that have really helped shape a, a, a strategy for what is devolution going to help us to achieve, where do we want to get in 5, 10, 20 years, and that really provides that, that sense of direction for, for the region as a whole. So that, that those are, I think, pretty central things uh, to, to look for. Just briefly, in terms of the actual capacity that combined authorities require, um, Andy's talked a bit about it. I mean, it does vary quite a lot, depending, of course, on what is devolved, and that varies quite radically between places like Greater Manchester and, and some of the other regions that are far behind. Um, so the size of Greater Man of, of combined authorities varies widely. Uh, the largest GMCA is two and a half thousand or something, but that does include the fire service. Um, then you've got transport for Greater Manchester with another thousand people or something. Some of the smaller combined authorities are a hundred people or less. Um, so they're very different kinds of institution actually. But, but I think certainly the, the effective ones, based on that idea of having a, a clear strategy at the centre, they do have to build the the strategic core of the institute of the institution so it becomes more than just a channel a conduit for different white or funds flowing through the the organization to to whatever project you've got to invest in that central policy team the data capacity <coughs> the support for the political leadership the mayor in particular and, and the wider team um, so those those things i think are key um, I'll leave it there. There's other things I could say, of course, but thanks all. That's brilliant. Thanks, Akash. Jack, I'm interested in your reaction to everything you've heard yeah, so far and what you think central government can and should do on this issue of local Well, thank, thank you for inviting me again. I think I've appeared on one of your uh, fringes before as well, haven't I? So it's uh, great to be here with you and speaking again and obviously with one of my uh, councillors as well. You know, it's fantastic to have Abby here um, and speaking uh, to you today. And, the first thing I wanted to touch on really is around uh, the governance aspect of this. And I think that uh, what Abby was mentioning around, you know, if you don't fit the model, then, you know, basically uh, there's seen to be an inflexibility 
I do think that there needs to be more flexibility within government to allow different governance models, because if you don't want to accept a mayor, then what do you do? You know, basically, there are there needs to be more alternative uh, arrangements which you could look at, which uh, would be just as robust, I think, in terms of governance, but would allow that flexibility to allow other parts of the country to also have those uh, devolution deals. There seems to have been too much of an obsession around some of uh, what has to be a you know a perfect fit in terms of the eyes of uh, the department. And actually, I think that there can be other ways that we develop those governance models that would better fit the needs of many of those communities uh, that at the moment are reluctant to consider devolution and are having challenges getting the agreement of some of those local partners, but would come forward if we could have uh, a different uh, model, a different governance model that would suit them better. I think there is another issue as well around uh, the mismatch that we see across the country, though. I think, you know, there are uh, at the moment now, and I know this is a frustration of uh, those outside the political world, those who actually having to work with uh, many of the uh, devolved areas and combined authorities of actually the mismatch of powers and responsibilities that we do see uh, across many of the, these areas now. If you are an external organisation who is working with uh, several of these uh, combined authorities, mayoral areas across the country, I know they're finding it extremely difficult um, to, to deal with some of the, the different uh, responsibilities and powers that now exist. So I do think that we need to be conscious of that and think about how can we actually uh, give a bit more uniformity as well, though, when it comes to actually the powers and responsibilities that mayors are responsible for, that combined authorities uh, are responsible for as well. So I do think that is something that should be uh, given serious consideration. Um, I, I think you're right about the the fact that we've had seven, I didn't even know that, seven devolution deals in Manchester. I mean, that is quite frankly ridiculous that we're having just repeated changes and more deals you know, here, there and everywhere. You know, we need to get this right and get uh, something that works for, for each of those areas. And I think there is um, a, a role that also is to be played around um, uh, coordination. Uh, there's uh, lots of uh, opportunity to better coordinate uh, some of the work that's been going on. I think there are, you know, we've got lots of funding. It's fantastic to have all these different funding pots that Stoke-on-Trent secured. You know, we've secured records amounts of funding, but actually we need to probably think about how we coordinate some of that more so that we get the best benefit, that we get the best impact. Um, we've heard a lot here about capacity and capacity building. That is something that I think can cannot be ignored in terms of actually there's no point having all that funding if you can't actually get on and then deliver and deliver the improvements, deliver on the levelling up that needs to happen. And I think that is something that a lot of local authorities have grappled with. And I think there are, and it isn't just actually about funding though either. It isn't just about having funding to uh, provide some of the, the offices, although that, that is important. There is a skill shortage out there. We, you know, I've talked about before around uh, things like heritage enforcement offices and things like that. I know there's been massive issues with trying to recruit and fill these sort of roles. They just don't exist in some cases. The really important skills that we need to come in in local government to fill these roles and make a big difference uh, on, on uh, some of those projects, on levelling up, on dealing with some of the challenges that we see on a local level. And I do think it isn't just about, uh, as, as Andy was saying, it isn't just about um, some of those 
local government partners either. There is more than that. There are also uh, national bodies, you know, organisations like uh, Network Rail. Abby touched on uh, Homes England. You know, some of these other organisations which are absolutely critical for <laughs> delivering and uh, providing that support uh, to deliver on uh, levelling up. And if we don't have, and we've seen that in Stoke-on-Trent where we've had massive challenges to try and get these organisations aligned and understanding of what needs to be done to achieve uh, the delivery of some of this investment. If we don't get that, if we don't get the support uh, from those national organisations uh, supporting local priorities, then it is almost impossible in some cases to get on and deliver that. And the only way that we break through some of that often is through political pressure uh, to actually get over that. But it shouldn't rely on that political pressure. These organisations, whether it's Homes England, National Highways, uh, Network Rail, you know, there's loads of these, Environment Agency, we need them to be actually supporting uh, the efforts that are being made at a local level to deliver on those priorities, to deliver on levelling up, because otherwise we're just not going to be able to deliver uh, the improvements and changes uh, that need to happen. So I think in terms of that capacity, those are some of the key issues uh, and I hope that we will see uh, some of the improvements that need to be made around some of those issues moving forward. Thanks, Jack. That's a re really helpful set of points. And Abby, you heard both um, Andy and Akash talk about you know combined authorities and what they've been able to achieve in some places. J Jack mentioned you know, a desire for more um, flexibility around governance. Well, I got the sense from your opening remarks that you thought just you know, even as a council, you were able to achieve lots of these things already. What what do you think the role could be for some kind of devolution deal, maybe in Stoke in particular? Gosh, that's a highly controversial. Question. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll deal well, with the first first bit. Talk in generality, yeah. if, um, so last couple of days, chaired a number of panels and sat on various panels, and, I, and um, I've chaired a couple with. Um, Lee Rowley and one of the comments that he made in fact it was the panel we were on together yesterday was that actually local government often has more powers than it realizes and I think that's certainly something that Jack and I were exploring um, in terms of what do you have the ability to do yourself do you really need to create a greater body to do all this and certainly I think you know we didn't get there but our ambition you know may yet get there around a transport authority is actually if you don't want to go down the combined authority route and the reality was that the geography of Staffordshire and North Staffordshire in particular is is much more complex than it probably ought to be but actually the reality is do I want to spend five years having a big fight within my own city around coming forward and elected mayor or indeed with very good friends of mine who were at the time <laughs> leaders of the neighbouring authorities do you want to spend five years with all expending all that political capital when the reality is in about 12 months, I actually got to the point of the minister saying to me, Abby, I really, I really love the idea you're selling me. Who do, who do I need to speak to? So for me, that that is going to always be continually there. I'm, if, I lived in, if I'd been the leader of an area where I thought we could have advanced a combined authority and not expended a lot of political capital doing it, then I would have done it. I don't have an issue with the principle, but I know my area and I knew that the amount of political capital and the amount of heartache that it would cause for us would not get there in the moment that said managed to phone me up and said you've told me a compelling vision let's get around the table and have a conversation i knew that i didn't need to go down that any longer however you know that is a moment that's there isn't it um around around all that so you know i, I think it they are a, they are a great vehicle um it will be interesting to see what happens potentially what happens you know if we have a change of government and we move into a scenario where there is a desire to want to have 
those sorts of um, combined 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 authority for me does conjure up the ones that we know about and actually there are many different models around that isn't there? And that is what the lot the driver of fear is sort of my authority is not going to exist me as a council is going to be powerless or that sort of thing but i think you know there is so many different models to do it and it would be interesting to see where we got to i say this as somebody who doesn't lead a council any longer mm-hmm. if where we got to if there was an if there was a desire to want to put it everywhere but fundamentally then you know do you enter a different phase and again you know another uh, event that i was chairing earlier there was a conversation about it was a, it was an internal one um about uh, different types of councils districts counties and unitaries and you know if we were to have mm. combined authorities the size of north staffordshire just under half about half a million people you know do you then get into the same sort of conversation around what we don't you know the whole thing but what greater manchester can do more and and you just think is that i don't really i'm not really interested never it's fascinating as a as a politician, I'm fascinated how all it works, but all I really care about is living for my residents and what the best mechanism to, is to do that. Yeah, and Andy Jack mentioned this sort of, sort of hinted at this trade-off between having flexibility for what works in different places and sufficient uniformity that, or at least consistency across the country so that voters and others can understand. How do you think we can get that balance right? Well, I think, I mean, I think, I don't, I don't see a devolution framework or a model that doesn't, you know, the non-negotiable is a strong local authorities at the core, you know, even, even when you're combining them together. So when we were working in Oldham, you know, it was clear that having, having a good, well-functioning Oldham with a good, a good understanding of itself made a difference to Greater Manchester as well as to, as well as to Oldham. And the same was true of other local authorities and is true of other local authorities in, in, uh, in Greater Manchester. I mean, the, the, the issue we have, so, so I would say, you know, Stoke, <laughs> uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't need to, or it shouldn't need to pursue a particular model in order to get additional powers. You know, there should be a framework that allows uh, um, the city to develop its own model and, and, uh, and win the powers that it, that it thinks is necessary to deliver that model. Um, what one of the one of the reasons we've got the kind of combined authority big city model that we've got is because it was a treasury driven um, process and it was about it was about economic growth and boosting productivity in big city regions. I mean the the story this week with the kind of towns announcement has sort of taken a slightly different tack, um, and there are there are some issues with that. But but uh, you know the combined authorities that the particularly in the first couple of waves was was very much economic model owned in and designed in the kind of treasury's image hence concentration on things like skills and infrastructure and the rest of it and and that isn't necessarily the right model for everybody but uh, um i think i think it certainly doesn't mean that you you somehow apply the same set of powers uh, um, in a in a different framework for different places, because because you know the, the rationale for for designing combined authorities like Greater Manchester was was absolutely that kind of hard treasury model, and that isn't necessarily going to be the model everywhere. Um, but you need you need a, a, a process that allows you allows different places to develop to develop its own strengths and its own capacity and its own strategies, and and I don't think we've got there yet. Uh, um, you know, everything is kind of organised essentially around the same treasury kind of economic growth model, which is important and it's uh, and, it, and it's good and it and that's that's something we need to continue to do. But we need those other models too. That's really interesting. 
Jack, Andy mentioned earlier this, um, you know, the need for a collection of local institutions sort of working together. You mentioned the role of national institutions. I'm interested in your reflections on you know, local universities, FE colleges. Are there ways that they could be kind of more creatively brought into the policy process at a local level? Well, I think that is very important, actually, because um, one of the issues is uh, some of the detachment of skills from uh, local economies. And, um, you know, we have this model in the UK where you tend to go away uh, for university and then you never come back. Um, and, you know, that is the reverse in lots of other countries around the world. And surprise, surprise, in the UK, uh, other than London, um, our cities underperform their hinterlands. In a lot of other countries, in America, you know, lots of parts of Europe, it's the reverse. And, you know, I do think that skills uh, dis disattachment, you know, the, the, the need to ensure that skills are more attached to the local economy needs, you know, the needs of businesses, uh, the needs of uh, employers within those areas is extremely important uh, because I think we have started to improve on that. I think we're starting to improve on that with some of the uh, work that's been done to ensure that colleges are producing more of the skills that actually those local areas need. But I think we have got a way to go and it shouldn't be just about those uh, you know, sort of tertiary vocational skills either. It needs to be about universities serving the needs of their local economies as well. Right. I have lots more questions that I could ask, but I'm keen to allow all of you an opportunity. So please do raise your hands if you have a question in the room and I will uh, go to you. Oh, yeah. I'll just wait, wait for the mic, please. Thank you. Uh, hello, I'm Kieran. I'm a councillor on Three Rivers District Council in Hertfordshire. Um, as always been said, the model that we're speaking about with combined authorities makes sense in big cities where there's a clear defined geography and there's a clear ultimately sense of place over a wider area. Where I represent, we just don't have that. I'm a 90% Greenbelt ward. My ward's split between two villages and I have to put out two separate leaflets in each village because people on each side of the valley don't care about the primary school on the other side, let alone a wider region. So how can we make it so that we do have these devolution deals that work for more rural areas and especially areas where there's not that sense of place without it just seeming like it's moved power from wet suits in Westminster to suits at County Hall that you've never visited either. Great question, thank you. Any other questions in the room? Uh, lady just there. Hi, um, Esme from Transport East, we're one of the subnational transport bodies. Um, is there an argument for kind of levelling some of this work up a level to larger regions, particularly when you're looking at things like water, waste, energy, transport, um, and large scale kind of new town developments, for, for example? Great, thanks very much. And we'll take one more question. I'm Lenny Rolls from the University of Sussex. Hi, um, I, I just wondered, um, so in terms of capacity building, who should be the responsible convening power of that? Excellent. Okay, so we have a question about what deals should look like in more rural areas. And if I might just add one thing to that as well, um, we've already talked about some of the skill shortages um, in local government. Are there particular problems there, possibly for those rural areas as well? And then a question about, is there a role for, in some places, a lar larger region, larger regional scale, particularly for transport, water and waste, and do we need to build capacity there too? 
Um, and then the third question about who is actually responsible for capacity building. So I'll, I'll start with Akash and we'll move down the panel. Feel free to take uh, whichever questions you'd like. To yeah, sure, thanks. Um, so, I mean, on that first question from the, the gentleman <coughs> from, was it Three, Three Rivers in Hertfordshire, is that, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, th I, I think there's a, there is a very strong case that, to be made, we've heard it from, from others on the panel, that that model developed in and for Greater Manchester and then spread to a few other places isn't necessarily going to work everywhere. Michael Gove has said as, as much um, in, uh, on a few occasions that, um, that, that that Metro Mayor model is not necessarily going to be applicable everywhere. The government hasn't, though, managed to strike any devolution deals that don't uh, involve a, a directly elected mayor yet, even though, yeah, in the, in the white paper last year, the Leveling Out white paper, they said there'd be level two deals on offer without mm. without a mayor. So they, they haven't quite um, walked, walked the walk um, that, they, that they said they were going to do. Um, I do think that, yeah, uh, that, that, that there are definitely advantages um, to having that single point of, of contact that a mayor brings you, both for negotiations with central government, but also with business and, and, and investors. Um, that, that clear sense of accountability um, is, is helpful. And, and that's clearly the view in Whitehall, and that's why that's been the priority. But you know, I, I totally agree, and, and IFG has said as much that there's a commitment in the white paper to doing level two deals without a mayor. Um, government should definitely try and make some of those work in, in, in rural areas. And supposedly there's being some negotiated at, at the moment, so we, we might see that. Um, the other one I was going to pick up on was the larger regional scale uh, question uh, from, from Esme Transport East. Um, you know, I think I, I, I talked a bit about geography in my opening remarks and having to get the scale, the right powers at the right the right scale is, is what this comes down to. And I, and I think there probably are some bigger, higher level things such as such as the, the, the things you mentioned that where you do have to think about wider regional collaboration. That isn't, yeah, it's not where the focus has been. Um, I don't think, you know, ultimately the, the big regions that Labour, when it was last in power, tried to devolve government to are the answer for most of these things. I think they are too large. People don't feel any kind of affinity with the east of England or the northwest as, or the northeast, these kind of abstract, um, direct, you know, compass directional kind of regions. Um, so I think for sort of political devolution, it is right to focus on city regions that have some kind of sense of place and county councils either by themselves or sometimes counties coming together, as in the East Midlands. That's the kind of scale that I think makes sense to most people. Thanks, Akash. Abby? Um, okay, thank you. Um, I think in relation to the, the Three Rivers question, which is a really good one, um, it's worth saying at this point that um, out of the two people on the panel from Stoke South, there's only one of us who's obsessed with transport, and it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Jack is hugely passionate about transport, um, and um, I personally can see his fingers having influenced a number of policies that the government's brought forward. 
But the reason that we wanted to progress the idea of a transport devolution deal for Stoke-on-Trent was because that was where we saw the commonality of a challenge between a growing city like Stoke-on-Trent, it's very dense um, and compact, alongside our two uh, neighbouring local authorities, Staffordshire Moorlands, which has some quite high levels of rurality, um, mm. alongside Newcastle-under-Lyme, which has um, a, a rural curtilage, but um, an urban core in a way. And I suppose I look at it, and I may be totally oversimplifying this, but in a way, I think it's that, isn't it? What is the common denominator in your area, potentially with your neighbours, that would fill that gap? We didn't go for transport for any other reason than, than that that was the first place that we thought that we knew from our relationships in those areas that we could seek agreement um, without needing to go down that um, route that I talked about earlier in terms of expending political capital to get a combined authority. So so I guess that, that would be my reflection. What is the common denominator for your area and what is the scale you want to go for? And the scale could be small, the scale could be huge. I, I think, you know, one of my... One of my frustrations sometimes with, with other people that clearly I, I don't suffer from myself and my negotiating style is it just because the government says this is what you should do doesn't mean that you should say I must do that. When I say that, I mean when the government says there's three boxes for devolution, I see that as an opportunity to go and think about whether I could come up with a fourth box, you know, because those three boxes are really fascinating and it's brilliant yeah. for everyone who fits into them. doesn't mean I have to fit into them. Yeah. It means that there's a, it's an open, opening salvo for the negotiation around where you go to next. I think the other one that I would just very quickly touch on in terms of the question around who is responsible. Um, I was on a panel this morning talking about high streets um, and where you go to. And, and I was, um, despite the fact I try not to talk about Stoke Contrain, I did talk about Stoke Contrain for an entire hour, um, <laughs> was I'm, I'm hugely passionate for my place and I care hugely about what happens there and the direction of travel within which it goes to. But not all leaders are going to be like me when I was a leader. That's not a bad thing. But in a way, that's the answer to the question, isn't it? If it's not going to be the local authority, then um, it should be somebody else. Could be the university. We see some cracking stuff coming forward mm. um, in terms of joint ventures. Uh, Bruntwood are doing some really interesting mm. things in the West Midlands. You see Legal in General doing some interesting things yep. up north. And I think it's into that space. If local authorities can lead, then that's brilliant. And I would stand up and you know champion the fact that we are the original leaders of place and do all that sort of stuff. But I don't think by any means it's a cut and dried case that it has to be local authorities. I think, you know, some great universities out there, it's all for the better if you can bring together that coalition of willing of a, a strong local authority with a clear vision, with um, a civic university next to it that is similarly in that same space with other institutions, um, whether they're education, whether they're business, whether they're voluntary community. But I don't think there's any necessary perfect way of doing it. I think ultimately it's all about passion for your place. Great, thanks very much, Abby. Jack? I think, you know, in terms of more rural areas, absolutely, you know, that opportunity uh, for devolution should be out there. But I think what we've got to be careful of is that we don't just add more complexity to what is already quite a complex uh, local government picture. And, you know, we have quite a, a, a interesting picture when it comes to local government across the country, different types of uh, councils and setups from place to place uh, around the country. So, you know, what we don't want to do is just add another layer of bureaucracy that doesn't actually uh, do what it needs to. So, you know, I, I absolutely recognise that devolution can be the solution for some areas, but it isn't certainly the answer for every area. And I think, you know, I remember saying it, um, our fringe uh, that we had that I appeared at before, 
was it a year ago? Yeah, I think I remember then saying how skeptical I was around, uh, you know, whether devolution was the answer and whether actually it's the only answer because what I would much rather do is get on and start delivering things now that matter for our communities are going to make a massive difference in terms of livelihood than wait uh, five years to get a devolution deal in place. You know, actually we need to get on with making the difference now and use the structures that are there to do that. Um, so it doesn't mean that we necessarily need a devolution deal to get on and do some of those things. And I think we have proven, as Abby was saying in Stoke-on-Trent, that we can actually do these things with some of the existing local government structures and make them work and fit and do that uh, themselves. And I think the point that was made around uh, whether we should have larger, uh, you know, sort of larger local authority areas. I mean, there are lots of different models that we could go down. I mean, in, I think in France, don't they? They have much larger local councils. Um, that is sort of the model that uh, that France is is focused on. So there are certainly different ways we could go about local government. I think it'd be incredibly controversial because there are lots of uh, people who would be very unhappy about you suddenly going and closing down their district and borough council. Uh, but, you know, there is certainly other models that we could look at. Uh, whether it's the right fit, I'm not so sure. I think, you know, that individual identity that is given and the political identity of communities is really important. Um, and people have huge attachment um, and uh, to their local areas. So I think it would be very difficult to try and uh, bring about that sort of change. But it's certainly something that might have to become uh, something that's given more serious consideration in the future, given... Uh, the challenges uh, of finances within local government, given the challenges um, of running services and the need to, for much more collaboration uh, moving forwards. Uh, but we have seen ways that that can be done with partnerships between local authorities working collaboratively, um, and that doesn't necessarily need uh, devolution deals either. Um, I think in terms of the points that were made around uh, capacity building, I think there are many different ways that this can actually uh, develop. I don't think it is necessarily just about uh, local government. I think it is, um, you know, in some cases, the private sector who can come in and support this. Um, it shouldn't just be about uh, the public sector either. Agreed. Agreed. But I do think that there are national government uh, organisations who can play a big role, actually, particularly in helping to support uh, local government. They can second staff, they can do things that will help address some of these gaps which could make a big difference when it comes to delivering on things like like you know. Great, thanks, Jack. Anything to add to those thoughts, Andy? Yeah, well, I, I um, I mean, first of all, I should take care. And I, I know three rivers. Uh, um, I, I spend a lot of time in decorum, so that's which is another local authority that no one will have heard of, uh, unless unless you've been in it. But uh, um, that's uh, that, I, I won't go down that that route. I, I do, I do think a sense of place is really important, and arguably. Um, you know, that was one of the reasons why the, the kind of Labour's uh, RDA, Regional Assembly kind of process didn't, didn't stick. Um, there was some sense of place in some regions, but not all of them. And so, you know, institutions felt like they'd been dropped on people. Um, but but to, to both your point and to Esme's point, I think, you know, the academic theory of this is multi-level governance. Now, you know, it's how do you get how do you get the different layers and the different institutions working together where they have to. So, you know, you, you, you will have to kind of work with with um, London, with TFL, 
uh, um, you know, which will feel like a huge beast <laughs> uh, uh, to deal with. But but that relationship has got to work. And I think the problem with multi-level governance is that it's a hierarchy essentially, and we need to kind of make sure that that it isn't, and that if you're if you're in three rivers, you've got purchase on the system for what you need. And you can kind of work with kind of uh, either either kind of national agencies like Homes England or, or local regional kind of bodies like TfL to kind of you know to make your place function. So so you know it, uh, multi-level governance has to work in practice, and and there need to be sufficient incentives for the different levels to work with each other and not just to sort of look down on smaller units. That's the wrong way of characterising. Uh, <laughs> but I hopefully you'll get my you'll get my gist. Um, I think on, I, I mean, uh, just, just to uh, follow up on Abby's point, yes, the government offer three boxes, but I, I, I would agree, you know, never be defined by what central government offers you. I don't think Greater Manchester would ever have said they have been. That's one of the reasons there have been seven deals, because it's like, uh, can, we have, uh, can we have something else? Uh, and can we kind of work up a bid for FE, uh, you know, and joint governance over skills or kind of bits of international trade and I think I think kind of that's part of making um, multi-level governance work not not kind of accepting the hierarchy of decisions made at the center saying that's all you can have picked from the menu and we'll we'll have a negotiation um, so so I really really kind of believe that I think uh, lastly Lenny's point uh, Lenny's question um, I think I think the kind of the convening the convening kind of has to start with a local authority because that, that is the kind of democratically accountable unit where that capacity has to exist. Like I say, it's non-negotiable. But the incentives of other institutions need to be aligned with that. You know, so in your case, the University of Sussex kind of has to, you know, there's no point, there's no point kind of um, having a system that kind of says, we'd really like the university to kind of be involved if all the things that govern universities kind of point you in a different direction. Point you to national accountability or national policy frameworks, which of course it does. Uh, so, so I think I think the kind of local authority has to take the lead, but but the institutions, the other institutions that matter, have to have the right incentives to be part of it. I do I do think universities can can play a different kind of convening role, uh, and and need to and 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 need to kind of have have a sense of their own enlightened self interest about how important places to them. Uh, so it isn't just about regulation and incentives saying you must work with your local authority, um, but um, but I think I think the kind of the central issue is how, is how do you get multi-level governance functioning rather than being this kind of hierarchy of instruction, <laughs> uh, which we know exists. It's it's you know what what gives you the power to have a kind of confident debate with with your neighbours for the best outcomes of your you know of your your place but like i say that sense of place i think i do think matters great thanks andy i think we have time for one more question we have one in the room yeah there's a hand up there's a lady there thank you i'm hannah shackford cpx impact um listening to this discussion it feels like there's a really central tension between wanting to be led by places and what they want and also just this growing picture of complex deals and different levels of governance. And I just am interested in hearing from the panel how you manage that, um, because I don't think it's helpful for business, as has been pointed out, but it's also so confusing for people, they don't know what they're voting for, and that I only see that getting worse at the moment. 
although I completely appreciate the need for places to be able to define what they're ready to take on. Um, so yeah, I just think that's a really inherent <laughs> problem. Yeah, thanks for that. I think if, if we can go down the panel, starting with Andy, if everyone can also treat this as your final remarks, since we've only got a few minutes left, try to be brief if you can. Yeah, so it, it, it feels like that's kind of horribly complex and it, and it um, is difficult to challenge, but we're the outlier in England. Uh, um, and if you look at a kind of the German system, the French system, the American system, it, all of that has kind of, all of those systems have, have, have kind of come to a, a status quo that works, a balance of powers across different places and kind of businesses, employers, other federal agencies kind of have got used to that. And part, part of the issue is stability. You know, those relationships are in place for a long time. One of the problems we've got, well, the two, the two big problems we've got, one is we're, we're massively centralized. So we've, we've forgotten how to do these things and we've, we've forgotten how important it is to do some of these things locally or regionally. The second is a kind of stability of arrangements. And so going back to the, the announcement this week, you know, there are, there are some merits. There are definitely some merits to the kind of towns board model um, and uh, the idea of a towns task force. But it's another set of institutions. It's another set of changes since the levelling up white paper, which is only just a year ago. So, so we have we have this joint problem of kind of you know ever increasing churn in institutional arrangements, which just adds to the complexity, and this massive culture of centralisation. And the thing that the thing that kind of sets other countries apart and makes them work: one, they're not centralised, and two, the arrangements they put in place stay in place. <laughs> so it's a matter of kind of whatever the system is, you stick with it, and people will get used to it. Well, I think it's, um, and obviously I think it is a balance, but I do think the way we've gone about it is sort of inherently British in the approach that we've taken to this. You know, it's been one of evolution and our democracy has been evolving over many hundreds of years to where we are today. And I think that's the approach that we've taken to devolution. We don't have a constitution, you know, a formal written constitution where it sets out uh, different federal uh, uh, governance and state governance, that sort of approach that we see in many other countries in America and Germany, you know, we actually, and how our democracy develops and how devolution has developed is an evolving picture. But I do recognise what you're saying, absolutely. This is a balance. I think it is challenging for those, particularly those outside of the political world, to actually be dealing, you know, for business, for other organisations who are trying to work with a number of uh, devolved uh, parts of the country, or how do we work with all the different complexities? I mean, even between uh, Manchester and Birmingham, there's huge difference in terms of what uh, the, the, the two mayors have in terms of their powers. So, for example, Andy Street doesn't have any of the policing responsibilities, whereas here in Manchester, Andy Burnham does. So, you know, some of those really fundamental uh, powers that don't exist in, in some uh, devolved areas, but do in others. So I do think that as we have evolved and are evolving still, we should try to move towards a system whereby the mayors do gradually accumulate the, the similar amount of powers that uh, those areas like Manchester now have got so that we can have more of that uh, a sort of a reduction in the complexity that we have seen. Thanks, Jay, and that definitely echoes what, what the Institute for Government would say on that matter as well. Abby. Thank you. Um, 
I find conference really interesting, but I more often than not do seem to get myself into trouble because I get quite excited by things that other politicians say. And I remember a few years ago going into the Conservative home tent for a drinks reception, and I think it was, uh, I'm going to say it was Jake Berry, who was um, one of the ministers within whatever, it would have been MHCLG then, I suspect, or DCLG. And he was talking about why the mayoral model was so good because you had a single accountable individual. And I got very excited because although I wasn't leader of the council at the time, my view is that the leader of the council can be a single responsible individual. The panel I sat on this morning talking about regeneration in towns and cities, again, there was an MP on the panel and he was talking about chief execs setting visions of places. Now, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that, but they probably wouldn't want to work with me because I'm very clear that when I was leader of the council, I would be the one setting the vision. I'm all for collaborative working. I've worked with some brilliant officers. I've been really lucky to do that. But that's not what it looks like for me. But that's because there's a spectrum, isn't there? And it's all about ultimately how the vision of that place is set and how that gets there. Because the reality is that that single responsible individual, if that is a mayor, um, or if it is a leader of the council, or if it is a combination, you know, Manchester, you know, had a very successful partnership in um, Sir Richard and Sir Howard. Um, Stoke-on-Trent had a very successful partnership of three MPs and a council leader. The mayors, as Jack's already mentioned, have a spectrum. Mm. There's some that, you know, we know, we know who they are and they are they are giants of their area. And there are others, frankly, where if you went and knocked on a door, people wouldn't even be able to tell you who they were because the reality is the narrative of that place is still being driven by somebody else as well. And I don't think there's anything wrong with any of that. I don't think we all have to be identical places where the single accountable individual has to be a mayor or they have to be the council leader or they have to be a duo of leader and chief exec or MPs I think it's what matters for your place and that the person with the vision is just able to be there they shouldn't have to fit into the box around that and that therefore if you've got that message delivers that narrative of confidence because in all honesty I don't think that I ever heard for any moment in Stoke-on-Trent that the vision that we were that we were promoting and pushing wasn't valid because I wasn't um, an elected mayor um, and actually we were working together as, as four people. I, I just think if you've got the vision, if you've got the narrative, if it's salient because people believe in it because it's of your place, then actually it doesn't really matter where you are or that, or that tree. It's, it's about your place. Great, thanks. And Akash, final word for you. Yeah, very briefly. Yeah, I mean, I do think there's a sensible middle ground, basically, in in, in um, between every place having their own uh, their own sets of powers, their own structures, and some kind of top-down uniform model of imposed everywhere. I mean, the reality is, if you try to devolve everything that Andy Byrne and GMCA is responsible for at the moment to the rest of the country. Um, it would just not work. There aren't the institutions. There isn't the, the there isn't the capacity that we've been talking about in, in many of these places. So so there's no way you can just reach that point in in one bound. And, and there's no point um, thinking about uh, you know imagining you could do that. So places are going to move at different speeds. But yeah, I think there should be greater consistency at least in terms of the principles that determine what can be devolved where. And and I don't think it's helpful when devolution is just driven by this deal-making mindset where politics comes into it government maybe wants to do a favor to a given mayor because they're of the same party they get these extra powers someone has a better line into michael gove so they get a special deal on this or that um, there should be a framework which we kind of have but i don't know how much difference it's made there should be clearer principles there should be greater transparency about decision making Great, thanks very much, Akash. Uh, that brings us to a close. 
Um, I'd like to thank Policy of Manchester again for sponsoring this event and making it possible. And thanks again, Andy, for being on the panel. A reminder, a recording will be up available on our website. So if you miss any of that, want to get some of those very quotable points, again, you'll be able to do that. This is our penultimate events event at conference at IFG. Um, but if you want to stick around or come back at 6.15, we have in this room a final event, how can the centre of government deliver Rishi Sunak's priorities? So if you're still going to be here, please do come back for that. But all that's left for me to do is uh, to thank all of my panellists for a great discussion. Thank you. Thank you.